the preachers are weary, the singers are tired, the church as we know it is losing its power. Some are discouraged from bearing the load, but we must determine to keep pressing on. Cause if just one more soul were to walk down the aisle, it would be worth every struggle, it would be worth every mile. A lifetime of labor is still worth it all if it rescues just one more soul. So preachers keep preaching and singers go sing. Laymen keep sharing that Jesus is King. The angels have gathered, they're surrounding the throne. And they'll start rejoicing for just one more soul. Cause if just one more soul were to walk down the aisle it would be worth every struggle it would be worth every mile a lifetime of labor is still worth it all if it rescues just one more soul cause if just one more soul were to walk down the aisle it would be worth every struggle. It would be worth every mile. A lifetime of labor is still worth it all. If it rescues just one more soul. A lifetime of labor is still worth it all. If it rescues just one more soul. Let's take our Bibles tonight and turn over to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. We're going to read a passage that may be very familiar to you. And on the other hand, it may not be. But we're going to begin reading in chapter 8, verse 26. We're going to read through verse 35 tonight. And then we're going to kick off uh, basically a series uh, tonight. And over the next weeks, we're going to consider this one topic, Christ. That's all we're going to consider over the next few weeks. And so let's go ahead and begin reading in Acts chapter 8, verse 26. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning, and sitting in his chariot read Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, 
Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him, and heard him read the prophet Isaiah, and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation his judgment was taken away, And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. In our modern culture, in our society, we can find a myriad of churches and beliefs. There's no lack for variation or differences for variety in the church. Churches may vary in size and color and creed. Their congregations may vary in economic, social, and political status. But churches are as diverse as the people that fill them. Still, it cannot be forgotten what the great purpose of the church is. Without a doubt, one of the most significant and important purposes of the church is to glorify the Lord. I mean, that is indeed what all of our real goal is, to bring glory and honor to Him. To exalt Him amidst a crooked and perverse nation. To magnify the Lord Jesus Christ before a adulterous and wicked generation that all men and women might be saved. In the book of John, chapter 12, verse 32, we read, And if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Boy, if we're not careful as a church, it's easy to get sidetracked. It's easy to be distracted from the mission of elevating the Lord Jesus Christ, lifting Him up, magnifying Him, and in so doing, forgetting or not accomplishing what God intended for us as a church to do, and that's to reach the world with the gospel. So our passage this morning says that Philip preached Jesus to him. He preached Christ to him. The Apostle Paul, when speaking to the Corinthians, stated, But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness in 1 Corinthians 1.23. In 2 Corinthians 4.5 we read, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. He says we preach Christ, and that's what the Apostle Paul's message was. His message was not a, a, a position, it wasn't some kind of Creed, in a sense, it was really a person. His message was a person. And literally today, you and I have the same message. And that message is a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. If we preach a system of belief and we exclude the Lord Jesus Christ, then we have preached simply man-made doctrine and man-made creed. Our responsibility is to exalt, magnify, and lift up Jesus Christ Himself. If we're going to effectively elevate the Lord and preach Jesus Christ, 
then I think it would be wise to know him a little bit. To get to know a little bit more about him. To know him as well as we possibly can, really. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. And learn of me. We note that the Apostle Paul was determined to know the Lord Jesus Christ as well in Philippians 3.10 when he said, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death, that I may know Him. This morning or tonight, I want to, to, to begin a message or a series that I would simply entitle Christ. Christ. So let's familiarize ourselves with Him over these next few weeks. Let's learn as much about Him as we can in the short time that we have. And so, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll continue tonight. Father, we come to You. We thank You again for all that You mean to us. Lord, we are a needy people, and Father, we are truly bound by sin if we've not been saved. But Lord, once saved, we are free to serve and free to live on behalf of you. Oh God, we know that, Father, the world is in bondage and enslaved to Satan and sin. Lord, we have the message. We have the answer. And the answer is not our church statement. It's not our personal philosophies. And it's not our way of life, even. The answer is you the Lord Jesus Christ, the person. God, help us, Lord, to recognize how important and how valuable you are in our own life. And then when we come confronted with circumstances and confronted with needs in the lives of others, we will always have the answer. And that answer is always the same. It's you. It's not that we're trying to skirt around the issues. It's not that we're trying to simplify the complicated. And yet, Lord, on the other hand, we are... (laughs) wanting to simply go directly to the source of hope, and that's you. Bless us tonight, and Lord, may we learn about you. May we learn of you, and as a result, Father, be better equipped to help others and to face our own life and its many ups and downs. Well, thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's talk about his origin, first of all, his origin. When I think about that, I consider his identity. I mean, who are we dealing with? We're talking about Christ. Who is He? Well, Jesus is said to be the one who will judge the living and the dead. Look, if you will, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. If you would poll Americans and ask them what they or who they believed Jesus was, you would get a myriad of answers. Some would believe him to be simply a good man, others a great prophet, some even Messiah. But we know him to be literally God. Jesus, the Bible tells us, is the one who will judge the living and the dead. 2 Timothy 4.1 I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. We know that all judgment is rendered unto him, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to be judged. He's going to stand 
uh, sit in his seat and those will be paraded before him. He is the judge. Thomas could be heard crying out to Jesus himself saying, My Lord and my God in John chapter 20 verse 28. Paul calls Jesus the great God and Savior in Titus chapter 2 verse 13 when he says, Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. We know that he's returning. Jesus is God. He is the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Paul also points out that prior to his incarnation, Jesus existed in the form of God. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Turn there if you would please. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Jesus was not always a man, obviously. For a short period of time, he took on the robe of flesh, but the reality was he is God indeed. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 8, when speaking to the church at Philippi, the Apostle Paul, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, Let this mind be in you, Philippians 2, 5, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Notice once again, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Why would he? He's God. <laughs> in regards to Jesus, God the Father is recorded as saying in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8, But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Notice again, unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God. I mean, listen, Jesus Christ is God. You want to identify who he is? Simple, God. That's it. And so we talk about that. You say, what's the point? I thought we were talking about his origin. We need to identify him first of all for who he is. Notice his activity also. We, we notice his identity, but notice his activity. In Genesis 1.1, we read, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Look, if you will, in Colossians 1.16 and 17. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. So we know or note His identity as spoken of by God the Father, by the disciples, by the Apostle Paul. We see it being recorded in the Scriptures. But notice His activity. Yes, we know God created the heaven and the earth. But in Colossians 1, 16 through 17, the Bible says, For by Him, if you would take just a few moments and read before that, you would find it's referring to Christ Himself, were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. It's referring to Jesus Christ. It's talking about Him. And the fact is is that Christ is Creator. That means that He is none other than God Himself. Not only do we see His identity and His activity, but notice His longevity over in the book of Revelation. Turn there if you would please. Chapter 1 verse 11. Revelation chapter 1 verse 11. Jesus again says, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. 
Well, we need to know Him. The more we know Him, the better able we are to elevate and magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we can magnify the Lord, then we can certainly uh, focus others' attention on Him. That's exactly what He's seeking, the attention of others. Genesis 1.1, excuse me, Revelation 1.11. Notice it says, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. Jesus Christ. He's speaking here. This is His revelation, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. Alpha and Omega, first letter in the alphabet, last letter, Omega. We see Him first and last. There, there's... It's the Lord Jesus Christ saying, listen, I was way back there and I'm way over here. I'm first and last. Notice in Revelation 1.18, just a few verses, he really spells it out when he says, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. He lived, but then he came to earth and died, but he lives forevermore. Amen. And he says, and have the keys of hell and of death. Man, Jesus Christ, I mean, the longevity, he's forever. He's eternal. Why? Because he is God. That's who we're dealing with here. We talk about his origin. He has no origin. He has no beginning. He has no ending. He's God himself. Isn't that a wonderful truth? And to think that Jesus Christ makes his abode in us, literally lives inside of us. To think that the God that created all the universe would take a moment to recognize each of us at a cross called Calvary. And then allow us to dwell with Him forever. That's amazing. And He dwell with us. It's just mind-boggling. So we know His origin. But let's consider His birth. In Matthew chapter 1, turn there if you would please, verse 18. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. begin reading there in 18. Let's read through verse 23. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. And someone says, wow, this is one of those passages you read at Christmas. Yeah, I know. It's one we ought to be pretty familiar with all year round, right? right? Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, that's a good thing to do. Think. But while he thought on these things, I want you to, if you would, just think or imagine with me for a moment. Here's this man. He, He has a wife that is espoused to him. In those days, an espousal was as legal as any marriage in America. It was as binding as any marriage, more so, it seems, than those in America today. But all of a sudden now, before they had come together, it says, he, she is found with child. Now, Notice again, the, the, think about the mental stress. Think about the, the potential embarrassment to him also. Here he is, a man older than Mary, obviously, 
uh, more mature, supposed to have a better grip and handle on life, chooses and decides to embrace this woman as his wife, a young lady, and here he finds out that she is with child and fearful that others will too. I can only imagine what his first thoughts were, no matter how virtuous this man was, no matter how godly he may have been, I'm sure that he had to have had some real concerns. And yet, you know what he didn't do? He didn't get on Facebook and tell the world what was going on. He didn't even get on the phone and call his mama and daddy, it sounds like, and say, man, I got mixed up with the wrong kind of gal. I thought she was supposed to be all that, and she is all that. I mean, I'm just telling you, he, listen, what did he do? But while he thought on these things, boy, it'd be good to think before we speak. It'd be good to think before we act. It'd be good to think every once in a while before we type or use our thumbs like that. Can you imagine how Joseph would have messed up Mary's life and his if he wouldn't have done things the way he did? If he wouldn't have waited for God to speak. But while he thought on these things, be still and know that I am God. So anyway, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David... Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. I wonder how many would have gotten or had that revelation shared and would have even believed it to begin with. It would have probably been blamed on a loaded pizza from Pizza Hut or something, you know, some kind of, something with a lot of hot peppers on it or something. I couldn't have heard that right because that's impossible. But Joseph knew his Bible. He had to have known something about the Word. He had to know at least that there was a Messiah that would come one day. Notice, he goes on to say, And she shall bring forth a son, verse 21, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, being interp- which being interpreted is... God with us. See, his birth was prophesied. His birth was prophesied. Again, in verse 22, the Bible says, Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet. It goes on to talk about what that prophecy was, that a virgin would have a child. Listen, this birth, this this birth of Jesus Christ was prophesied. That's important to understand. It didn't, he just didn't show up in history one day. It just didn't come up as a result of man-made, uh, you know, wow, I think we'll make up this character called Jesus. No, long before he was ever on earth, long before he ever arri- arrived in Bethlehem of Judea, he was already spoken of, prophesied, and foretold. As a matter of fact, we, we read over in the book of Isaiah Chapter 7, verse 14. Turn there if you would, because that's the passage in which we're noting. Yes, 
says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. There it is. Long before, hundreds of years before Christ ever showed up, a prophet wrote a prophecy that came true. Look at Micah chapter 5 verse 2. Micah chapter 5 verse 2. But thou, Bethlehem, Euphrates, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Hey, listen, he even identified where he would be born. I mean, Jesus Christ would be born of a virgin. He would be born in Bethlehem. All prophesied ahead of time. We're back in Isaiah. Look, if you would, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Probably uh, one of the most familiar passages when it comes to uh, the uh, prophecy concerning Christ. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. There's none other than Jesus Christ again, prophesied. His birth was prophesied. It was foretold. Hundreds of years before he was ever born, the prophet Isaiah had given a prophecy. Amazing. We talk about Nostradamus. And people like to, every once in a while, back in the 70s and 80s, he was pretty big, you know, and everybody's freaking out about Nostradamus. Man, he made some major predictions. It's amazing, the predictions he made. It's, I mean, he obviously can see the future. Well, I, I'm not trying to burst your bubble, but Nostradamus, of all those predictions, <laughs> the majority of them never did come true. And secondly, if any of them did, the only insight he ever had was his own flesh or demonic, either one. But I guarantee it wasn't of God. And listen, the Bible teaches us that if a prophet has one prophecy that fails, he dies. He's a false prophet. Nostradamus better be glad he wasn't being judged by the Old Testament law that the Jews were. He wouldn't have been around. His birth was prophesied. But not only that, his birth was miraculous. We're talking about Christ. We're talking about Jesus. His birth was miraculous. Again, we talked about it already, but a virgin shall be with child. Listen, anybody tells you that happens now, it doesn't. That's it right there. That's the last time that one works. You know what I'm saying? Listen, this was different. This was unique. A miraculous birth. A miraculous conception. Amazing. As he goes on earlier in that verses that we read just a moment ago, it says, you think, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was a spouse of Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. 
Listen, she conceived a supernatural conception. God himself put that child in her womb. That's amazing. A miraculous conception. But miraculous conceptions lead to unprecedented births. Look, if you will, in that same passage there, verse 23. He says, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Isn't that amazing? That's just amazing to me. Emmanuel. God with us. To think that literally, again, the God of heaven was put on earth with mankind. Just an amazing, miraculous, unprecedented birth, Jesus Christ. Our responsibility as believers and the local church is to elevate the Lord, to magnify Jesus Christ, to lift Him up and exalt Him before a world that is in darkness, lost without Him. That's something that we just cannot allow to slip. And you know, the fact is, is that we are quite prone to being distracted today. And I just want to encourage you as we begin to look at this series on Christ to maybe take some verses that you get, uh, say in a message like this, and just kind of run them over in your mind. Take them and write them down and throughout the week maybe dig into them a little bit. I mean, it'd be good to know something about the one we're supposed to be elevating. It'd be good to have a handle on that. You know, why should I trust your Lord? Why should I even be, you know, influenced by Him? Why should I allow myself to be influenced? Well, maybe because He's unique and special. Maybe because He's unlike anybody else that's ever walked the face of the earth. Maybe because He is the Creator. You at least owe Him to check it out a little bit. Consider it. He's the one that made all things. I mean, he was Emmanuel, God with us. That's a good reason. I just want to encourage you to consider these things as you move forward throughout these next weeks. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, the Bible tells us. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 3.16, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. The Lord Jesus Christ. When's the last time you spent some time with Him? I mean, when did you, when have you spent some time? I'm not talking about your five-minute little prayer. I'm not talking about jumping the Bible real quick and slam out a proverb. I'm asking you, when's the last time you really just spent some time meditating on the Word, spent some time praying and just begging God to do something in your life, the life of your family, the life of your church? And we really got to get serious about Him. It's not enough to just go through the motions. Most of our Christianity is a joke. 
Let's just be honest. We play games with God. I mean, we, we have to lift Him up. We've got to know something about Him. When's the last time you read a passage and you saw Christ in the passage even though His name was not written in it? Have you ever had that experience? I mean, that's where we have to get to in our Christian life. That's not just the preacher's job. That's every, every person that sits in a pew, everyone that names the name of Christ needs to be able to see Him in this book. Because ultimately, it's this book by which we're going to share Him with the world. They need to be able to see Him. You know, in that Old Testament, when they talks about in, in, in Israel, when they, they raised up that, that, put that snake up on that stick. We know from the New Testament that that represented Christ. We, that parallel is made there. And that's, that's amazing to me. I mean, those are the kind of things that we have to be able to dig out of Scripture. We've got to find on our own. And I want to encourage you to get in your Bible and to really start to think about Christ when you read it. Because really when it's all said and done, this book is about Him. That's all it is. And if you're not seeing Him in the book, you're not getting it. Getting it. Well, I read it. It doesn't matter. You're not getting it if you're not seeing Him somehow, somewhere. I just want to encourage you before you read to make sure you spend some time and say, Lord, I need you to illuminate my heart. I need you to just help me to hone in. I need you to enable me to really grasp what it is you're trying to say. And I want that, that golden nugget that no one else gets. I want you to give me something unique, something for me today. Well, I'll tell you what, he'll do that. in time. Not, not every time you get on there where you'll be like, wow, that's a great one. I mean, if you're doing that, you'll be writing books soon. And that's cool, too. Write some books. We need some good Baptist authors. But, boy, you ought to be getting something on a regular basis. You ought to be getting something consistently. So, we think about Christ, His origin. Well, I'll tell you what, He's God. He is God. And uh, we think about his birth. Man, I mean, that birth, that birth was supernatural. It was unprecedented. That birth was like none other ever. And you know, we ought to be mindful of that when we go out into the world and start talking to people. A lot of people claim to be atheists today. You know, they, I think it's kind of in vogue today, you know. I don't really believe most of them are. I think they just, a lot of them just like to say it to try to keep people off their back or they think it's kind of popular or something. When people are laying on deathbeds, most of them, not all of them, there are some hardcore, most people are searching for answers. If I can give you one piece of advice, when you walk into a room where someone's dying, do not assume they don't want to talk about death always assume they do because that's what they're going through right now. And most people want to know something. They want answers. What I find is that we tiptoe around that a lot. Oh, wow, this is a bad time to talk to them because ooh, they're kind of like dying. No, that's the time they want to talk about it. They may have family members there and they may be hesitant to talk around their family, but I promise you, you get them alone almost every time they are interested in hearing about the next life. Oh, yeah. 
Don't be intimidated. Don't let the devil lie to you about that. Amen. And what you need to do is just tell them about him. Amen. Because he's the same answer that they needed when they were 20, 40, 60, 80, or 100 years old. He's always the answer. It just doesn't matter. So I'm going to encourage you just to know him, like the Apostle Paul said. Learn of me, Jesus said. So over these next weeks, we'll do our best to try to learn something about him. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for just this time that we had together in this place. Lord, it, it's so good, Father, just to think about you, to meditate on you. Lord, we are just such needy people, and Father, our hearts uh, are heavy so often, but as we lift you up, as we magnify you, we're encouraged. And then, Lord, we're able to encourage others. And Father, 